the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Titus. There are a lot of hopeless people in this world. A lot of people who are hopeless. It's no wonder. And there's nothing wrong for the right reasons with counseling and certain medications. But it's no wonder that there's an overabundance of prescription medications for people because they have no hope and they can't cope. And that's often because, not always, it's often because people don't know the source of hope, which is Jesus, the one who gives us hope in a hopeless world. Have you ever seen fake money? Whether it was just some play money in a board game or a prop for a skit, it's not too difficult to pick up on the differences. When the world tries to offer peace, hope, and love, it will always look like a counterfeit compared to what God offers. Today, Pastor Gary teaches the importance of accessing the true source of hope, not just accepting the cheapened version the world gives. You can't experience true, lasting hope in this hopeless world unless you receive it from Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Titus chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Titus chapter 1. And as I always like to do as we begin a new book study, this is what we do on Wednesday nights. If you're new, uh, welcome, but we go verse by verse, and uh, we're, we're going straight through the Bibles. Sundays is more uh, chapter by chapter, kind of thematically, but on Wednesday nights we go verse by verse, and so here we are in the book of Titus, having just finished Second Timothy, and I like to always give a little bit of a backdrop to the letter before we actually start reading it and studying it together. So here's some information for you. Titus is considered one of the three pastoral epistles. Thus, our, our graphic design has the same theme, just different colors, because 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, all three of these letters written by Paul are considered part of the pastoral epistles. Now, the interesting thing is, as we've said many times, your Bible is not necessarily in chronological order, and the book of Titus chronologically would really fit between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And so, uh, written by Paul around 64 AD. Titus himself was a Greek, but he was a believer in Jesus. We know this from Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. So he's a Gentile. He's going to later become a traveling companion of Paul's, uh, but, uh, but he is a Greek believer. Now, there's, there was great debate in, in the epistles that you can read about concerning Timothy, who was one of Paul's traveling companions, and Titus, who ended up being one of Paul's traveling companions, over the whole issue of circumcision. 
Titus, uh, uh, sorry, Timothy had a Jewish mom and a Greek father, which made him Jewish through the maternal line. And Titus was full on Gentile. And so the debate became uh, regarding circumcision. Paul decided to circumcise Timothy because Timothy was a Jew who had not been circumcised. And Paul felt that if he weren't, that it would be a stumbling block to Jews who, who would be unlikely to receive him. Um, because he, he didn't bear the mark of circumcision, which would identify him as, as a part of the covenant. So Paul decided to circumcise Timothy, but, but not for reasons of salvation, but more or less for reasons of, of credibility, so that the Jews would not you know, oppose him, but would receive him and therefore possibly receive his message. There's a difference with Titus, however. He's a Greek, he's a Gentile, and in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, I'm not compelled to circumcise him because there's a difference here with him being a Gentile. If Paul were to circumcise him, then it would be as if he's saying it's a requirement for salvation. And one of the problems that you're going to find here in the churches within Crete, which is where Titus is pastoring, is that there are some who are coming in who are called Judaizers who believe that it's okay to believe in Jesus, but you have to also go through all these Jewish ceremonial practices to really be fully saved. And so Paul realized, if I, if I circumcise Titus... Uh, it'll, it'll send a different message than the message for circumcising Timothy. The message in circumcising Titus will be as if to suggest this is required and that these Jewish traditions and rituals are a mandatory thing in order to be saved. So there, there's all that debate in, in, in the scriptures. Um, Titus's name in Greek means honorable, and he is apparently, we don't know for sure, but he is apparently a convert of Paul's ministry. He comes to faith in Jesus as a result of Paul's preaching because as we'll see in a moment in this first chapter, verse four, Paul affectionately refers to him as my true son. Again, not a biological son, but a son of the faith. And so that phrase is probably telling us that Titus became a believer in Jesus as the result of Paul's ministry. And again, he does become a traveling companion of Paul's He's, he's mentioned uh, nine times by name in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and 8. And, and so he, he travels with Paul, and uh, one of the places that he apparently travels to, although not recorded in the book of Acts, but we find inferred here in Titus, is to the island of Crete. If you'll notice, just jump ahead real quickly here at chapter 1, verse 5. This actually kind of gives you a preview as to the whole purpose of this letter, But in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The reason I left you, Paul writing, the reason I left you, Titus, in Crete, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the indication to us is that Paul and Titus were ministering together on the island of Crete and that Paul left and entrusted to Titus the follow-up ministry of straightening things out in these churches. So it appears that uh, one of the places that they traveled together was here in Crete, which is where Titus ends up serving as pastor and teacher of the church in Crete, or there appears to be more than one, at least, at least pastoring a single church, or perhaps even somewhat of, a, of an episcopos, a bishop overseeing the churches of Crete. By the way, Christianity may have first come to the island of Crete, not because necessarily Paul brought it. Uh, But it's interesting to note that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 
uh, people, the Jews who had gathered there for the feast, uh, when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2, um, the early church, they, were, they spoke in tongues as the Holy Spirit baptized them and came upon them in power. And it, and it tells us that, that other Jews who were bystanders, they overheard other people uh, uh, praying and worshiping in tongues, and, and they named the different nations. And among the, the, the different representatives there uh, in the early church were those who were from Crete, mentioned in Acts chapter 2. So it is likely that, that there were Jews who became uh, believers in Jesus, and, and then they, from Crete, as well as from other nations who had gathered there in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and that when they went back to Crete, they, they took the good news of Christ with them. So we don't have evidence that Paul actually brought Christianity to the island of Crete. He wasn't even a believer in Acts chapter 2 when Cretans got saved. And so it is likely that that uh, salvation experience and baptizing work of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, among them being the Cretans, that they go back to Crete and they take the gospel with them. They take the good news of Christ. Now, an interesting little commentary about the Cretan people uh, is found here in, um, in chapter 1, verse 12, uh, which tells us that Paul is quoting some, some people of the day that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. So how would you like that to be your reputation? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment and why Paul quoted that as, as their reputation. But that's, that's kind of the background. The church is Crete, uh, a few churches in the, on the island of Crete, and they have this reputation, the Cretans do. So that's what they're going into. And the island of, of Crete is about 175 miles east to west, and it is about 35 miles north to south at its widest point. And so that's the background uh, and um, relating to the letter, to the location, and to Titus himself. Uh, let me give you the purpose of this letter, and we, we read it there in, in chapter 1, verse 5. The purpose of this letter is to establish order in the church. And Paul is going to address, uh, in these three chapters, he's going to address in chapter 1 a few people exclusively. In chapter 2, he's going to address many specifically, and in chapter 3, he's going to address all generally. And so that's, that's kind of the train of thought. In chapter 1, he's going to talk specifically about a few people, particularly elders, and then in chapter 2, he's going to talk about many people specifically. He's going to talk about older men, uh, older women, uh, younger women, younger men, uh, slaves in first century Rome, that's, that's typical. And so he's going to address those groups of people. But then by the time we get to chapter 3, he, he says in verse 1, remind the people in general. And he's going to have some general advice and counsel to everybody. So that's, Paul's a very kind of a systematic thinker. You know, the book of Romans uh, a century ago, when Paul wrote that, uh, uh, up, up until about a century ago, Paul wrote it in, in, in the early first century, but up until... Uh, about a century ago, the book of Romans was uh, used uh, in, in law school to teach systematic argumentation and uh, to make a legal case. And, uh, and so that's the way Paul thinks. He's, he's a sequential thinker. He's a very logical thinker. He has a very uh, sharp kind of legal mind. And so that's, that's the way he writes here to Titus. So here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. We should be able to get through this in just probably two weeks. We'll see how far we get tonight. 
hopefully chapter 1 at least. Uh, He introduces himself, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season he brought his word delight through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. I mean, that's a, my English teacher would have scolded me right there like that is one long sentence. Uh, but, but I like the way that in ancient times, the writer, the author, in this case, Paul, they identify themselves right up front. You know, in our culture, you, you get a letter from somebody and, you know, most people don't write letters in the mail anymore but it, or send cards, but it used to be that you have to quickly look at the back to see who's this from, and then you know. But in these days, they identify themselves right up front so that you know who it is. And I like how that happens, you know, just so you don't have any mystery. Who wrote this? Paul says right up front. And he identifies himself as, in two ways, both a servant, there in verse 1, a servant of God. It's a Greek word, doulos, meaning a bondservant, uh, one who intentionally has yielded to a master. And so Paul is writing, God is my master, Jesus is my Lord, I'm, I'm his servant. And the other word he uses to identify himself is an apostle. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's a servant of God. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, that word apostello, meaning one who is sent out. And, and he's a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect. Now, that's, that's the rest of us as the saints, as the church, as believers, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Now, he's, he's going to talk here in this letter about the importance of knowing truth of knowing sound doctrine, because when, when you know sound doctrine, it leads to godliness because now you have the prescription for what God requires in terms of a holy life. Listen, the Christian faith is not just about what you believe, it's also about how you behave. And how you behave will be shaped by what you believe. And a lot of people can believe all sorts of things, but, but behavior is putting belief in action. And so when Paul is writing here to Titus, he's going he's to challenge people in different ways, particularly when we get into chapter 2, about the right way to live, about the right behavior, about right conduct, and it will come first by laying the foundation of right belief. You can't have right behavior until you get the right belief settled first, so he's going to make that case throughout this letter, but he said that's part of the reason why he's a servant and an apostle because he wants to bring knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness to God's elect. He continues there in verse 2, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. You know, listen, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. he would say, if we only have hope for this life, we are to be pitied more than all men. You know, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in eternal life. Our hope is in the life to come. And just so that none of you might get lost in Christianese, when we talk about eternal life, if you're new to the faith or you're here kind of checking out Christianity, none of us, you know, is, is uh, you know, into an illusion that somehow we never die. Eternal life does not mean that we don't experience death. Eternal life means that there's more beyond death. That for the Christian who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior, 
Death is simply a graduation from this life into eternal life. And that while our bodies will decompose and return to dust from which it was created, that for the Christian, upon death, your spirit separates from your body, and your spirit goes to heaven and goes to be with the Lord. And your body decomposes. Our body is made up of the same 17 chemical elements as dirt, mainly hydrogen, oxygen, and 15 other trace elements. So the Bible is true, and science confirms it, and we're just going to return to dirt. And you can either go naturally, natural decomposition is about 30 years, or you can be cremated, it's about 30 minutes, but you're going to return to dust either way. And so it doesn't really matter. Some people get hung up on, on that. Should, is, is, uh, is cremation okay? It's fi- it just hastens the process, but it's okay. What about the glorified body? You'll get it. Like God's not going to be up in heaven like, oh, well, you cremated, so now I can't give you a glorified body. Like that's going to really be a, the, the one who threw the stars in outer space is going to be you know, bound now because, you, oh, you cremated your body. It's going to return to dust either way. What about Uncle Charlie who was scattered at sea and then eaten the ashes by sharks? God can take care of Uncle Charlie, and God will pull together all the molecular elements of our ashes and scattered, you know, remains in order to give us glorified bodies. That, don't worry about that. The, the real thing to be concerned about is do you know whether or not you have eternal life? Is do you know that you know that Jesus loved you and died for you on a cross and gave his life for you, and he took on our punishment that was intended for us, so that by believing in his sacrifice for our sins, we might have the hope of eternal life. There are a lot of hopeless people in this world. A lot of people who are hopeless, it's no wonder. And there's nothing wrong for the right reasons with counseling and certain medications. But it's no wonder that there's an overabundance of prescription medications for people because they have no hope and they can't cope. And that's often because, not always, it's often because people don't know the source of hope, which is Jesus, the one who gives us hope in a hopeless world, and the one who helps us to recognize that this world and this lifetime will come to an end. And that's why it's important for us to know that we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the hope of eternal life is not just for ourselves. It's also that hope we have in knowing that we'll be reunited with our loved ones who know Christ, who have gone before us. It's going to be a glorious reunion for your loved ones and friends who have already gone to be with the Lord and they've left this, this world. But because they know Christ, and if you know Christ, you'll see them again and you'll be reunited with them. So this is all that hope. This is, and this is his introduction. He's like, you know, this, this is why I'm doing all this. He's like, I, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm an apostle of Christ. I want to bring the truth that leads to godliness. I want us to have this faith and knowledge that rests on this eternal hope, which God, he adds there, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So God doesn't lie. First Samuel 15, 29 says he He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. So he's like, God has promised this. He's faithful. He doesn't lie. And he made this promise before the beginning of time. Peter would write in his epistle, 1 Peter 1.20, that Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake, for my sake. And so God's plan of redeeming humanity 
was put in motion even before the beginning of time as we understand it. And God is faithful to all his promises. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. He writes here in verse 4, now we, now we hear, who's the recipient, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Again, my spiritual son in our common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Some of your translations say grace, mercy, and peace, but um, not all of the original manuscripts had mercy, so I think NIV, I think ESV just has grace and peace. Some of your translations say grace, mercy, and peace. And he says in verse 5, the reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. Now, the word straighten out, again, New Testament written in Greek, uh, it is a Greek word, epidiortho, and we get two words from that epi meaning upon or over and orthos meaning to straighten. Uh, we get our English word orthopedic and orthopedic doctor is one who straightens bones. And basically that's the directive here from Paul to Titus. You need to straighten it like a good orthopedic surgeon. You need to straighten out what's crooked, what's bent, what's messed up in the churches there in Crete. This is his directive to Titus as I've left you in order that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. And he adds there in verse 5, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He says, I gave you this instruction. I want you to follow through, and I want you to appoint. Now, King James uses the word ordain, uh, but, but but the word appoint is a better translation. In fact, wherever King James uses the word ordained, it's only three times out of 23 other times that this word is translated a point, a point, a point. Uh, it is katastemi in the Greek, uh, from two words kata and hestemi, and it means to stand up. And so what he's saying is you need to appoint, you need to stand up, you need to align, you need to uh, designate elders in every town. Now that doesn't mean every, every town, like every town in Crete needs an elder. It means every town, the implication is every town where there's a church It needs to have leadership. And so, Titus, you need to appoint. Now, that's a key word in the Scriptures because it is contrary to our common Western way of dealing with things. We we typically, in our Western mindset, we vote on leaders. But not in the Bible. You never see elders voted on. Elders are never selected out of popularity. They are never self-appointed. They are always appointed by someone else with authority, in this case, Titus, and it's an important distinctive. I know some of you may have come out of churches. I came out of churches where elders were voted on by the congregation. That just simply is not being consistent with the way we see it in Scripture. Because what often happens is when when we vote for people, it becomes much more of a popularity contest. I can tell you, you know, when I was younger and old enough to be a part of a membership of a church and then could vote. I voted for elders who were presented. I had no clue what their life was like. I had no way of knowing whether they were qualified out of 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1. And nevertheless, it became kind of a popularity thing because it appeals to our Western mindset of voting for people. But that's not the way it is to be done in the church. It's not how we do it here. And, and the directive is appoint, 
appoint. And the reason why they were to be appointed is because there's a strict list of qualifications. Whenever you're starting out doing something, people have ideas and want to run with those things in a new and fresh way. That's not altogether bad, but in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, he wanted to make it clear that having solid teaching of what the Bible says is crucial to a thriving church. Without that, you have no firm foundation to stand on. As you've been listening to this teaching in the book of Titus, what are some things you've learned or realized? Pastor Gary will continue teaching in Titus next time. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection, a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're so glad you joined us today to learn from God's Word. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You can listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings with you on the go. In the meantime, think about what you heard today and take some time to read through the passage again, meditating on what God's Word says. Join us again for our next edition in the book of Titus as Pastor Gary will continue here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.